the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts and we're about to cast a spell on you for the last time for this Halloween season with 2016's The Love Witch. And for the last time, or is it the last time, cue the spooky music. For the fourth time, we're delving into the witchy world, and for this week's selection, we're going with a slightly artier and slightly odder witch movie than we have been over the last few weeks. It's 2016's The Love Witch, written, directed, edited, and a whole load of other things by Annabella. And you'll all be pleased to know that our go-to guy for IMDb synopsises is back. I'm about to read synopsis for The Love Witch by Nick Reganis. In the hope of finding true love, statuesque raven-haired young witch Elaine settles into a classic Victorian home somewhere in the scenic small town in Northern California. By stirring mysterious magic potions and using intricate ancient rituals, single-minded femme fatale is willing to go to great extremes to find the perfect replacement for her recently deceased husband and to finally fulfil her insatiable desire. However, as Elaine's almost pathological obsession starts leaving an ever-growing trail of love-smitten men in her wake, inevitably, an inquisitive detective will soon disrupt her spell. Is Elaine destined to find her prince charming? See, that's what you get with a Nick Reganis synopsis. He's back on form. It's nice to have him back after a few weeks. We couldn't get a Nick Reganis synopsis for the last few, sir. So. Welcome back, Nick. The podcast has missed you. Now, a bit of history about this movie. I first saw this many years ago at Abattoir Horror Movie Festival, and it was a Sunday morning choice. It's the first movie to play on the Sunday, and I had been out at the pub the previous evening until about five in the morning. So I staggered bleary-eyed into Aberystwyth Arts Centre for the Sunday morning screening of this. Now, what you'll come to discover is Darren is way more hardcore than I am because I had also partied in the pub until 5am. And as much as I wanted to see this movie, 
I opted for sleep instead. So I don't know if I would have stayed awake for it because horror festivals and a lot of alcohol combined um, does mean that sometimes you miss out on screenings. So unfortunately, I missed this on the big screen, but I'm really pleased that I've been able to watch it now. And I don't know how many of you listening have been to the Abattoir Horror Festival, but for me, this whole movie embodies the Abattoir Horror Festival and what it's about. So this film, as we stated, was directed by Anna Biller. The history behind it is um, quite interesting. She was inspired to write this film after reading some self-help books, to which I quote, it said that the piece of advice that stuck out to her the most was if a woman wants to keep a man around, she should love him less than he loves her. And then she noticed this was a parallel between advice and the female characters in classic cinema who loves someone to death. And then the reference is a film called Leave Her to Heaven and a character called Ellen who she was inspired to write Elaine around. And of course, this film is very much a love letter to the 1960s and Technicolor. It was shot on 35mm, and I believe it was the last movie to be shot on 35mm that I read a fact, but maybe by 2016 it was. I'm not sure, so you can correct me if I'm wrong with that fact. So that is the basis for this film, and it looks absolutely amazing. I was blown away by how good it looked on the big screen. It looks pretty good on the Blu-ray. If you've got a decent definition TV, the Blu-ray is very, very good. But there's nothing to replace the experience of seeing it blown up on a huge screen. And it did not disappoint visually. It is one of the most gorgeous horror movies you'll ever see. Well, it's one of the most gorgeous movies you'll ever see visually, period. It's just stunning. And everything about it, there's huge amounts of care taken to fill the frame with strange and interesting things and it's got some very very well crafted sets which kind of make it feel like a movie because there's something slightly off about every location and every place she goes to but that just adds into the weird vibe that it's going for apart from that it's got some very pointed things to say about how men behave it's a feminist film, but it's not shoving all of that down your throat. At least I didn't think it was anyway. It makes its points in a very humorous and quite cutting way. But it's not really coming out and just saying directly that men are just useless. There, there are a couple of great characters in it. The lecturer that uh, she ends up with early on. He is this typical, well, it seems like he's this typically well-read male type who enjoys his wine and enjoys his literature and enjoys going out into the woods. But as soon as he's confronted with a strong woman, he just falls to pieces. He's a completely useless sort of wimp. And even on the soundtrack, there's some voiceover from Elaine occasionally. And when this guy's bursting into tears and he can't handle the situation, she says something like, oh, what a pussy, what a baby. <laughs> Yeah, this cleverly subverts gender roles because you have the whole idea that women are allegedly needy after getting together with the opposite sex. This completely flips this around and after Elaine has been with these men, they are absolutely obsessed with her. So that's how it cleverly does it. And I believe even though the movie looks like it's made in the 1960s, it's meant to be set in the present day, which I find a really interesting like stylistic choice as well. 
So I, to me, I didn't really notice too much of modern things. I know I think it was the cars that they were using, and I think there was an element of phones and that, but it definitely felt like you were watching an old movie. And I, I think Annabelle has done a fantastic job conveying that. Yeah, there's a, there's certainly a bit of the '60s melodrama about this one, which is a really good thing. The performances are just slightly tweaked. They're not over the top in any way, but there's a certain style they're going for with the performances and it did remind me of those overwrought 60s technical dramas which makes it a lot of fun in the end even though there's some fairly dark stuff going on there's also quite a lot of enjoyment to be got from the way it is dealing with relationships between men and women and the fact that even elaine elaine is kind of a villain because of the things she does in the plot but at the same time, you are kind of rooting for her as well. She does some fairly questionable things throughout the movie. But there's this thing where I was thinking, well, these guys are kind of asking for it as well, because they are dreadful people. And I think she's just picking up on their weaknesses. And, I mean, not exploiting them, because she's trying to find the ideal partner and she's very much the sort of person who believes in romance and the one but she's constantly disappointed by this string of really weedy ineffectual useless guys that cross a path yeah it all goes horribly wrong for her she casts these love spells and she kind of gets the opposite effect of what she's looking for after the sexual desires have been fulfilled so to speak she's left very cold and disappointed by how these men become too infatuated with her that they become emotional wrecks and it's really clever how it's done i will say the movie is quite predictable i think you can see what's coming a mile off but i think it's supposed to be it's a homage at the end of the day and um I think Annabella knows exactly what type of movie she was making with this. There's just no pretense about it. She knew how she wanted it to be visually and how the story was going to come across and how it was going to park back to the old style of dialogue and scripting that they would have had back in similar films made in the 1960s. But again, I had a great time with this movie. I would say my least favourite thing about it is the length. I think it could be a little bit shorter in its runtime because it becomes a bit overindulgent by the end and you just kind of want the plot to move at a quicker pace than it does at some points. It just needs to wrap it up a bit quicker. I mean, I think the ending is pretty satisfying, but I think the point <laughs> where, where it comes to a bit of a lull, there's a, a kind of renaissance festival yeah. in the middle and it's such... A bizarre sequence it's um quite mesmerizing to watch but you're just sitting there kind of with a grin on your face thinking this is really weird but i'm enjoying this all the same <laughs> yeah the bit with the renaissance fair i'm not saying that it completely grinds the movie to a halt because it doesn't it does further the plot in terms of elaine goes to the renaissance fair with the hunky cop that she's dating and through various contrivances they end up in a fake wedding at this renaissance fair so they get married in inverted commas which kind of sets elaine onto the ultimate path of her relationship with the detective but you're right the renaissance fair kind of it's quite a long sequence and it's quite stylized it's even stylized in the 
confines of this movie, which is stylized to begin with. And there's all the worldy songs playing, and there's a, a fight between the Oak King versus the Holly King, and it's because of summer solstice and summer's on its way out, and the winter's trying to fight its way in. So you've got all of that stuff, and it's presided over by some local witches who are quite fun as well. The, the subplot about the local witches is pretty well handled. It's dealings with witchcraft. It gives you just enough detail, but it doesn't really go into the ins and outs of Wiccan practices. You see Elaine mixing some potions and you see the spell book occasionally, but it's not particularly interested in going into the minutiae of witchcraft. There are a couple of the local witches. There's uh, Garn. Is it Gahan or Garn? I can't. It's, it's one of those things. He was, he's a fairly odd and creepy guy who is one of the local witches. And they do play his character for all it's worth. That He's quite a prick, really. He's a bit pretentious and he's a bit condescending. And you kind of feel that he's in it just because of the naked women all over the place. His character comes off as a bit of a prat, really, which is nice to see. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, he gave me the ick vibes for sure. <laughs> but I think with the representation of sexuality in this movie, it's done very tastefully. Yeah, there's a, quite a bit of nudity in it, but nothing too offensive. The sex scenes are done very tastefully, as I say. So, um, yeah, it's a very attractive looking film. And of course, I'm surprised you haven't said this yet, Darren, but Samantha Robinson is absolutely beautiful as uh, Elaine in this film. She is just style goals, in my opinion. Looks <laughs> yeah. incredible. Maybe like a young Elvira. Yeah, yeah, that's quite an interesting comparison. But yes, they've got her for that kind of witchy sort of gothy look she is unbelievably stunning samantha Robinson in this movie and i think it works because they need to cast somebody that's gonna sorry to, for the pun here cast a spell over the various guys and you can kind of see instantly why these guys would fall for her because she's sexy she's smart she won't take any sort of nonsense. So she's the kind of person... You see the point where you, the the lecturer guy, she's sitting on a bench and she's just looking at this guy and, he, and you kind of see her sitting on this bench in a long shot. And it's just the way she's sitting and it's the way that she's carrying herself and it's the way that she's filmed. And you just think, well, no guy would resist this woman. He comes straight over to talk to her. And I think she does project that assertiveness. I don't think it's aggressive in any way, but I think she is asserting her sexuality to get what she wants. Interestingly, there's a sort of co-star, the other woman that she shares some of her life with, is a woman called Trish, and she's pretty much the opposite to Elaine. She's dressed in very muted colours, and she's chosen to live a life in a certain different way. She's still quite a strong female character, but she's not putting herself in the positions that Elaine is in. She's, Trish is, well, happily, in inverted commas, married. She accepts what she's got in life, but she, again, she's not much of a pushover, Trish, but she's choosing to live her life in a completely different way to Elaine. And it's interesting when the two of them get together to talk about things, usually in the amazingly decked out Victorian tea room, which is just a riot of pink and women playing harps and tea. It's the sort of place that, I mean, when I saw this first, I thought, I don't think it's a real place. I'm pretty sure it's a set. But if it was a real place, I'd be thinking, I have to go to this place because it looks amazing and you can have tea. Yeah, 
and cake as well. And but cake. what's quite <laughs> what's quite funny in that scene where they're both talking and Trisha's husband walks in, Richard, I believe his name is. Yeah. And then he invites her out for lunch. She's like, I've already had my lunch. But this whole scene, we've never seen them eat a single thing. They've had their like tray of sandwiches and cake, but they have not eaten a single thing because they've been too busy gossiping. But again, the conversations characters have in this film is it's all very engaging. There's like a lot to take from it. And it's just a very interesting commentary on gender roles. And that comes across really well without hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, it's a very surreal film. But it has a lot to say. And I think that's that's what's really great. And they use the horror really well in it. It's not particularly gory. There might be the odd scenes. It's not focused too much on bloodshed. So I think it's one that if you can accept your films a little bit weirder than usual, then it's one for you if you're not the biggest gore fan. That's true. It's more of a an indie drama comedy than a flat-out horror movie. There are... A couple of moments which are horror. I don't. I'm not going to say horror adjacent. There, there are horror elements of this movie, but it doesn't take it to the extremes where it will be giving you nightmares. The bloodshed is very sparing, effectively done, but sparing nonetheless. And it's not going for that angle. It's more interested in unpicking the dynamics between men and women and how. Certain types of men. I'm going to say not all men because you know there's always going to be somebody that goes, well, it's not all men. Yes, we know it's not all men. It's <laughs> certain types of men can't deal with that type of feminist outlook, regardless of what it's couched in. So I think it's it's a clever movie. It's a funny movie. It does go on for just over two hours. So I appreciate what you're saying about the length of the movie. If you're going to get wrapped up in this then you might want to be in for the long haul and it might be slightly too long and it might take off on too many flights of fancy along the way but before you get too bored along the way there's always something weird or there's also a major plot point or something bad to happen which will pull you straight back into it and I think the the weird thing for me was the ending is very sudden because after this kind of slow build and all these side characters coming in and they build the world the end of it is quite abrupt there is a little bit of extra stuff after the finale but it does kind of stop almost dead which it's quite effective because the first time well i was kind of expecting something along that lines but i wasn't expecting it to happen in quite such a a brutal and and final way as it does. After you've got this kind of fairly languid build-up, even though everything is very nicely put together and, and you, you're kind of dragged along by the atmosphere and everything, it does hit you with something fairly nasty at the end. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a testament to a lot of older movies they did used to just kind of end abruptly. I'd say like a lot of the Hammer films, a lot of the Jallo films of the day. So that didn't really surprise me that they went in that direction with it. So a bit of behind-the-scenes facts. Annabella really went for the detail for this film. She spent over a year um, scouring charity shops to find costumes and, and items that would represent the era that she was wanting to evoke in the film. And she even made the rug with pentagram on that's in 
Elaine's flat all herself. And I think she's done so well with this film in terms of the attention to detail and what she's achieved with it. It's it's definitely quite a passion project, I would say, in the way that it's um it's all come together at the end. Yeah, everything about it just speaks to the amount of passion that Annabella obviously had for it. Everything is very precisely done. The costumes are all amazing. The sets are all out of this world in every sense. It's clearly something that she poured her heart and soul into it. And it works because you can tell how much effort she's put into this movie. I mean, even some of the music is by Annabella. Everything about the movie has her stamp on it at some point. And I think it's it's just a great ad for how good, not just a filmmaker she is, but the whole element of production design and her eye for casting and plotting. Even though the guys in it are not particularly memorable for various reasons, that's deliberately done. They're not supposed to be that memorable. They're supposed to be kind of square-jawed hunks who don't have a lot else going for them. And it's the fact that Elaine is seeing these guys as potential suitors that she can only be disappointed by them when everything goes wrong. Now, you can see from a mile off that these guys are just not in Elaine's league and they just shouldn't be existing in her world. But she will persevere and she's got this kind of naivety about her which balances out the some of the more awful things that she does. I've seen things where they just say Elaine is an out-and-out villain in this. I don't think she is, really. I think, yes, she's kind of the bad guy of the piece. And, you know, there wouldn't be the love witch without her. And the thing she does goes wrong. But her intentions, although they're not always good, you can see where she's coming from and she's an interesting character. And there's something tragic about her because you know that something really bad is going to happen at some point along the line. And without giving too many spoilers away, it does. But at that point, you don't feel that she's deserving of it. There's some kind of sympathy, despite the fact that one of the characters previously has has killed himself in the bathtub. And there's kind of a, well, strong hint that she... But not driven him to it, but it's because he's in such a mess, being obsessed with her, that there's no way out for him other than to take his own life. Quite a nasty little scene. But at the end of it all, I can't really come down on the side of the folks that just say, oh, Elaine's just a villain, she gets what she deserves at the end. There's something more complicated about Elaine. Yeah, I think she's a great anti-heroine. I think that's what the angle they were going for, because I think there are times in the movie where you feel on her side, but other times you think, no, this she is just absolutely deplorable. So, again, it's a very interesting dynamic, and I like that it's not so clear-cut and that it leaves it open to interpretation of how you want to view her. But, yeah, I mean, I can see why people feel that she is an all-out villain. Her intentions are very selfish. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. What she is doing is selfish because she's thinking about herself and how to fulfil her own desires. But I think she has a naivety about her where she doesn't realise the consequences to her actions until things just go horribly wrong. 
So looking at what Anna Biller is up to these days, she has two projects currently in development. One is called The Face of Horror, the other is Bluebeard. There's no more information than that on IMDb. So I'm quite excited to know that she is working on other projects because it would be interesting to see what direction she goes in next following The Love Witch because, I, you know, I think I'd go as far as saying it is a masterpiece of homage to 1960s technical horror. She's done an impeccable job with this. On IMDb, the film has a rating of 6.2 out of 10, which I would give it a slightly higher. I'd, I would give it more of a 7.5, in my opinion. As I, I think it's just a bit overlong, but there's not much that I have to criticise about this film. Interestingly, when you uh, head over to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 95% tomato meter and a 61% audience score. The critics clearly love this, and I can see why, because they probably look at this horror film as high art. I bet it had elevated horror thrown in there a little bit, even though we don't like to use those terms on there. That's why I imagine this is what turned the critics on about The Love Witch. In terms of the movie, it's very cine-literate. And it's the sort of thing that critics like to latch onto. Having said that, regardless of the fact that it's paying homage to various different tropes and types of a specific era, it's still a really good film as well. It's beautifully shot. It's got loads of interesting characters in it. It's very well written. It's darkly funny. You're right, the, the running time does act against it a little bit. But I think it's a small hurdle to get over because, as you say, it does have a very satisfying ending and you're left thinking about the themes of the movie. It isn't just a story about one woman's descent into this supernatural world of trying to lure men into a world of romantic ideals that she can never fulfil and romantic ideals that they can never fulfil either. She's a very idealistic woman. And in the end, that is her ultimate downfall. Well, long after you've stopped watching it, you can still think about what it's saying in terms of how feminism is treated by certain sections of society and by certain guys within society. And it's dealing with it through the lens of witchcraft as well. So she's fighting against two things. She's fighting against the patriarchy, basically, but she's also fighting against all of these people who just think witches are out there to destroy them. So you've got a whole section of the town who will tolerate these witches, but they're also looking for the first excuse to go out and, well, at one point they are thinking of burning her during one sequence, which is quite outrageously done, but it's also quite scary as well at the same time because there's a real sense of threat to her. And even though, as we said before, she's not the most sympathetic character when she's caught in that situation, you actually really do hope she gets out because there's a real feeling that that could be where the movie ends up and that is what her fate's going to be. It's a clever movie on a lot of different levels and regardless of the fact that it's got a very indie sensibility and it's not your normal supernatural horror fair, I've watched this movie loads. Basically, you can watch it with the sound off, this movie, because everything looks great in it so it's almost like a moving exhibition so you could almost like have it on in the background and have it playing and people watching all these amazing sequences play out at the back so i'm a massive fan of this movie 
more people should see it. I think it's a movie that had a little bit of kudos when it came out and it had a little bit of a push because it got pretty good reviews. But of late, I think it's faded into the background a bit, which I don't think it deserves that fate. And especially because it's got such a great lead performance. Samantha Robinson, absolutely amazing. Just brilliant. Even if she never made another movie, she could just say, I was the lead in The Love Witch, and everybody would be like, that was bloody great. <laughs> Definitely. And I think it's one of the most striking horror films I've seen in recent years. Yeah, it's a shame it's kind of fallen under the radar. You don't hear people raving about it as much as you did back in 2016. But I think that is kind of the nature of uh, the festival circuit. You're always going to have your festival darlings every year. Some still hold up, so people still talk about them, then others fade into the background. The genre is just overly saturated, and that's just the way things are. But this one definitely deserves a bit more love because it is such an incredible visually striking film and even for me who doesn't typically like art house films like I really got a lot out of this and I, I just loved how it looked and I enjoyed the performances and the way it was all done definitely ending our witchcraft miniseries on a high here hopefully you've all enjoyed our picks and uh, there's been something for everyone and everything's been a little different from the other yeah I've really enjoyed this little sidestep into the supernatural world and I'm sure that we'll be taking another look at it at some point in the future. One thing I will say about The Love Witch, how big is that wine glass? Yes. It's enormous. <laughs> it's absolutely enormous. Or to put it as Sarah Jessica Parker's character, it's enormous. It's just a huge wine glass. I'm, I'm assuming that because they were sourcing items, for this movie i'm assuming you can get glasses that are that big but it's the size of the guy's head <laughs> but i mean if the love witch offers you a wine glass that size you're not going to turn that down absolutely not no and again aesthetically it looks good even though it might not be the most practical of wine glasses <laughs> i do wish we could chat longer and that's it for episode 82 of the hd movie podcast as always Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to check out our previous content, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Coming next, episode 83. And we're going to extend Halloween just a little bit longer. Our podcast, our rules, so we can stretch Halloween as much as we like. So we're going to push it one more week. And next time, we're going to be looking at a movie which has recently hit Netflix. It's The Curse of Bridge Hollow. Yeah, so this one looks like a lot of fun. So I hope it's an enjoyable movie to get through and keep those Halloween vibes going. Until we go to Bridge Hollow to find out what curse is there. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.